Amen, amen. Glorious, glorious truth to sing about the love of God. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. We are going to be entering back into the world of the letter to the Romans. Um, but we're going we're gonna to pause before we get back into Romans 8. And you remember that Romans 8 is like walking up Mount Everest, the Mount Everest of hope. But as we kind of, we got about halfway up and we needed to take a pit stop and, and just kind of take in what we've digested so far. And we're going to keep ascending. But today I want us to kind of think about what's going to be happening is we need to reacclimate ourselves to the book of Romans. We need to reacclimate ourselves to this book, which is the, one of the greatest letters in the New Testament. And it's just full of gospel hope and gospel truth and good news for us as the church. And, and this book really ignited a passion for so many saints of old. I mean, you think of like Augustine, born again by reading this book. St. Augustine. You think of Martin Luther, who was born again by studying this book as a monk and as a teacher of God's Word, who wasn't saved, reads Romans, gets saved, and calls it the greatest letter of the New Testament. That's what, that's what happens when people get their heart into this book and into this, this letter. And so what I want us to experience today, and my heart for us, is that we would be strangely warmed by this book, that, that, that we would be encouraged and, and injected with like a gospel hope infusion, okay? And, and, and I, I really, my goal is that we would be beating back the darkness today, amen? The darkness in our lives, the darkness in our community, the darkness in our city, the darkness in the world around us, at our workplace. That's what the book of Romans does. It beats back the darkness. And there was all kinds of craziness breaking out this morning because the, the devil doesn't want us in this book. You know, I've got a multicolored sermon manuscript here because because stuff goes on when you get into God's word and when you when you're going to get your heart around something where you're going to punch the devil in the nose with truth. He doesn't like that. So so we need God's help today to get our hearts around this book. OK, and so that's what I want us to do. So we, we need to pray and ask God to do a work among us. Amen. So I want you all to be praying with me that God would move in power. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of this book that you have inspired through the Apostle Paul to write some of the most glorious truths about the gospel, to get clear on what the gospel means and how it's relevant to our lives and how it's the greatest hope we could ever know. And we just thank you that that we have the opportunity and we have the privilege and we have the Spirit of God moving upon the Word of God as we hear it. And I pray that every one of our hearts 
would be opened up to receive these truths. I pray that, that we would get help. I would get help. That, that your people would get help. And that if there are some here today who don't even know Jesus and they're just investigating Christianity, that they would get help by these truths. That they would be kind of riveted to the glory of the person of Jesus Christ as the majestic King of all creation who entered into human history to change the world forever and that can change our lives forever. So we ask, Holy Spirit, come. Just pray that I would get out of the way and that your word would come like a, a locomotive, just bringing truth, carrying truth into our souls. And I pray, Father, that we would be helped the darkness would be beat back, that repentance would dawn in our hearts, that, that we would know the power of God manifest as we get into Your Word. And so we ask that Your Spirit would, would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. The letter to Romans. So I thought it'd be good for us to just start with the first seven verses and kind of get back into this world of Romans. And, and the first thing I want us to kind of think about is I, I just want to be, I want to be, as your pastor, I want to be a man who's just totally gripped by the gospel, totally gripped by this message, totally just captivated by it. And I want it to be the flavor of my life. I want it to be kind of the, the fire in, in my bones that I could not help but let out. I want to be about receiving the glories of this message that God sent His Son into the world to save sinners. To save sinners like us. Like me. You guys know my story. I was not a fan of Christianity. I hated Christians. And I made fun of them all the time. And then God zapped me with the Gospel one day. My eyes were opened. And I saw sweetness in this glorious good news about Jesus, the King of kings and the Son of God coming into human history to seek and save that which is lost. And we know we're broken. We know we're in a world of brokenness. It doesn't take much to look around and see that. But sometimes we, we, we allow our hearts to kind of get cold to the things of God and to the Gospel and so Paul wrote this letter to warm our hearts, to stoke the fire in our souls as Christians. So we do well to just drink it, to drink it in, to feast upon its truths, to memorize it, to think about it. Martin Luther once said that, you know, like it would do the Christian well to memorize every word of the book of Romans. Now, I'm not going to hold us to that. Obviously, I haven't memorized every word, but even... Romans 8, and get that under your belt and let that kind of just soak in your soul and imagine what it would do in your life. So somebody who's totally gripped in this way is the most happy, most satisfied person in the world because they've come to discover the pearl of great price. They've come to discover the treasure that the gospel opens up to us and that's God's very Son who loves us, who laid His life out on a cross, that old rugged cross, to pay for sins, to bear the wrath of God in our place. And if you're under condemnation today, 
If you're under the weight of sin and that heavy burden of sin and that crushing reality of guilt is on you, the only way to be free of that is to run to Jesus, to look to the cross, and to know He wasn't just buried and forgotten, but He changed history because He rose up out of the grave three days later, and we set our calendars by it. A little sort of offshoot of Judaism that had no chance of surviving. What is this little Jewish cult coming out talking about a, a, a risen king and a, and a dead Messiah that came back to life? And it wins over the whole pagan world of Rome in a few centuries. That happens because there's power in this message. So I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about what does it mean to be gripped by the gospel? And we were in Florida enjoying some, some beaches there and in Miramar Beach, you know, and one of the days uh, Abigail wanted to go out and Abigail's sick, so she needed to have like a little life preserver and all of that, but we've got the, you know, sand between our toes and she wanted to go out into the waves. And there's different colors for how, like, you know, dangerous it, it is out there. And we were at a red that day, and she wanted to go out. So we got the preserver on. And red means there's an undertow, and there's going to be some waves. And so I just remember going out with her, you know, and I've just got, I've got a firm grasp on her. And she's got a grasp on me. I mean, she's grabbing me like, like she's not letting go for anything, right? And so I've got her. She's got me. We're gripped. The waves start coming, smacking us all over the place. You know, I'm, you know, I'm half drowning trying to hold her up. You know, and and and, but I just, I was not gonna let her go. It's not gonna happen on my watch, and she wasn't gonna let me go. And and that's in essence what I want for us today. I want us to be known like that 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 we're gripped when it comes to who Jesus is and when it comes to him being our savior and when it comes to the greatest news of all we want to be gripped and and we want to have a firm grasp on the gospel we want to know it we want to grasp it we want to hold on to it hold on to it tight for dear life like abigail but you need to know that when you do that you're going to be gripped by the gospel you're going to be gripped by the good news. You're going to be moved by it. You're going to be changed by it. You're going to be, it's going to be like your lifeblood. And so the Apostle Paul is just, he's reminding us in this opening few sentences, the first seven verses of Romans, he reminds us we need to have a firm grip on the gospel. But that's not all. We need to allow it to grip our souls and to be so transfixed by it that it's like it's like the centripetal force just pulling everything into its orbit the orbit of our lives it's like the gospel is just magnetic bringing you closer to jesus and the closer you get to jesus the more joy you have the closer you get to jesus the more peace you have the closer you get to jesus the more satisfaction you have and so we're gonna we're gonna look at this book and we're going to see just what this gospel is all about. And so that's my hope for us, that, that we're going to get these first seven verses. And it's just not like an introduction, like, eh, you know, snooze fest. He's introing the, the letter. Now let's get to the good stuff. 
There's a whole bunch of good stuff just embedded in this little introduction. So let's read it. Verse 1 of Romans, chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his holy or through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That could be true of every, every believer at Smithfield who's truly trusted in Christ. Loved by God and called to be a saint. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can just see like reading that little introduction how full of gospel hope it is. How, how many reminders. It's like the Apostle Paul is giving us a preview of all the goodies that's going to be in store for us as we, we enter into Romans. And he's going he's gonna to work those out through the whole letter. And we get like a, a, a punchy preview right now to kind of warm our hearts. John Calvin once said of this little letter, he said, if we have gained a true understanding of this epistle, the epistle to the Romans, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture. That's why... The world of Romans is such a great place for us to be. I just can't, I just don't want to get too far from Romans, you know? Like, bring me back to Romans because I want the treasure. I want more of the treasure. And I hope that's your heart. And, 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 and my, my prayer for us is that the Spirit would, would be drawing us like magnets to this book and to the truths that it holds out to us. So we're going to look at a couple things. Number one, like, in order to have a gripped heart by the gospel, we got to understand what it means to be called by the gospel. There's a gospel calling that Paul is pointing to here. Now, look at it in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So we can enter into Romans and miss maybe the most beautiful word in the whole book is that it begins with this guy named Paul. And Paul is the most unlikely candidate to be writing this letter. It's staggering if you think about it. Because Paul used to be called Saul. And Saul was like public enemy number one of the church. He, he, for, you know, he, he ate his breakfast, went out, and started knocking on doors to go arrest Christians and throw them into jail. The first martyr of the church whose name was Stephen, it was Saul that everybody was giving him the clothes. And Saul was like, oh yeah, give me your coat. 
while you go throw a brick at his head. He consented to stuff like that because he hated Christians. And so the fact that Paul is even mentioned in this letter and he's the author of it is like mind-blowing. What's going to change a man like that? How is he going to become a Christian when he's public enemy number one? I mean, think about it. The church thought this guy is trouble with a capital T. There's nobody more brutal. There's nobody causing more harm against the church than Paul, who was once called Saul. And God's like, that's my man. That's my man. I'm going to save him. I'm going to snatch him from the devil's hands. And I'm going to make him a missionary for my kingdom. Because when people see that, then they're going to see this is real. Then they're going to see there's nothing that can do that except the power of Jesus Christ to save sinners. Otherwise, how do you explain Paul? Listen, listen to a little bit of the book of Acts, which is the history we have of the church, the early church, and what it said about Paul right after he's holding people's coats when they stone the first person who is martyred for his faith named Stephen. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution. So not only does he approve of, of the murder of Stephen, but he's the prime mover of a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And so all the Christians are scattered. Look at this. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But verse 3, check out verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church. That's what Saul was doing. And he was entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So before he's a Christian, he's ravaging God's people. Throwing them into jail. And going house to house and beating people down. And then he becomes the most tender apostle the world has ever seen. Sent by God to declare a message that changed his life and that flipped the world upside down. That's what God does. That's why, that's why when you read this book, it's like punching the devil in the nose because you're getting truth just right at you from the start. It's like Paul's the author. God must have done something in his heart. God had his eye on this murdering, religious, zealot, and hypocrite. So there's hope for some religious hypocrites to get saved. And there's hope for people who are just ugly, vile, violent, angry, hateful people to get saved. Because Jesus is in the business of saving people like Paul and people like me and you. And that's glorious, glorious news. Think about it. Like, how did Paul get this way? Well, he was on the road to Damascus, the Bible says, and he was on the road to get a warrant to do more violence against the church from the high uh, Sanhedrin. And, and, and so he's on his way and Jesus appears, knocks him off his high horse, throws him to the ground and ultimately calls Paul right there. 
And Paul realizes, I've been fighting against God. I thought I was serving God by smothering these Christians, and I've been fighting Him. And he's blinded that day by a radiant light. And a few days later, somebody prays for him. He receives his sight, and he becomes the Apostle Paul. Because he just was like humbled. Lord, I'm done. I'm done with the religious hypocrisy. I'm done doing it my own way. I'm done trying to climb up, doing my own bootstraps, trying to do the religious thing. Because you can go to hell being religious, right? <laughs> like Jesus had more like angst and a little bit more uh, visible righteous anger against the religious hypocrites and the Pharisees all through the gospel. And what's he doing with the prostitutes and the tax collectors? He's going to them with a message of hope. But the hypocrites were scandalized that Jesus would even eat with such low people of low standing. So whether you're a religious hypocrite or whether you've come in here and you're just caught in sin, you're caught in sexual immorality, you're caught in, in habitual gossip, you're caught in the vice grip of depression and discouragement and you feel like there's no way out. Like this Jesus can meet you. And if he could save Paul, he could save you. If he could forgive Paul's murderous, self-righteous sin, he could save you. Maybe you're just held up because you feel like, hey, I, like, this is like, like nobody can deal with me. Well, God dealt with Paul. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. If you look at verse 16, this is how he gets changed. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So you better believe you're not so far gone that God cannot save you. You better believe it's the power of God to change your life. To wake you up from your slumber. To wake you up to your guilt. To wake you up to have an honest view of, of your heart before God. So when I look at the word Paul, I think of Smithfield Baptist Church. And I think of the potential here of, of, of people who have been saved by Jesus... And I see like, like what's true of Paul is true of us. Like this gospel has gripped us. This gospel has awakened us. This gospel has saved us. And if he could do a work like this, what can he do with 50 people at Smithfield? What can he do with 50 people yielded up to serve him? Paul. A servant of Christ Jesus. Well, you just put your name in there. Peter, a servant of Christ Jesus. And I want us to be a church that makes the devil tremble because of our love for Jesus and because of our boldness to proclaim this word.
We tremble not for him because one little word shall fell the devil from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And I can't wait to see some light shining in the darkness. I can't wait to see some gospel trumpets being sounded. I can't wait to hear news of how like Bible studies are breaking out among us like organically and like like people are being brought one on one to the coffee shop to hear about Jesus. And like like we're actually thinking like I'm not just going to like coexist in this world. I'm going to bring the name of Jesus to it, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Well, that's Paul. That's his mission. That's what it means for him to be penning this letter. And that's his heart for us. But notice that he's a servant of Christ Jesus. First and foremost, he identifies himself as a servant, as a doulos. That's the Greek word that basically it means like a slave or a bond servant or an under rower. It's like just a humble picture of like, I'm totally submitted to Jesus as my king. What would your life be like if you just totally submitted everything? You're not going to keep back a pocket. You're not going to keep back idols. Right? I'm not going to keep back alcohol. I'm not going to keep back my pocketbook. I'm not going to keep back these things. I'm just going to lay them at the feet of Jesus and turn away from sin. I'm going to turn away from things that are crushing my soul. You thought the pursuit of pleasure was going to save you and you got to you got to just submit all of that to King Jesus. And then you find out what real pleasure is all about. You thought lust and the passions of the flesh were going to save you and, and it's miserable. And then you lay them down before Jesus. I'm your servant. I just I'm going to surrender. I'm going to stop holding on to my sin and I'm going to give it to Christ. And that's what Paul did. He was done playing games. And he goes from being a slave of sin to a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm yours. My heart is yours. Spirit of the living God. Blow upon your people and bring about submission to the master of the universe. That's what happens when the gospel grips our heart. There's an idea there of like, I've got a new master now. Like sin's not ruling and beating me down anymore. And sin is just our rebellion against God, right? We can sin pursuing sex. We can sin pursuing drugs. We can sin pursuing alcohol. We can sin pursuing lying to make ourselves feel better. We can sin by how we portray ourselves on Facebook or Snapchat. Or we can sin by what we do in the dark behind closed doors. But you need to know, like, like if you're to be saved, if you're to have any help and any hope in this world, you got to lay that stuff down at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, you're my king. And I surrender all. And that's the picture of Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called, called out of the world, called out of his sin, called out of his arrogance and pride and religious hypocrisy, called to be an apostle 
of Jesus Christ. One who's been sent by Christ. When's the last time you just got real honest with God? You just got real honest about your brokenness and about your sin and about the stuff like, and maybe people have been pointing out to you even like, like, you know, this, this isn't right. And you just been like, it's my life. When's the last time you, you really got honest before God and said, Lord, I surrender all. Sometimes it's nice to take a vacation because you can kind of get, get outside of the busyness, get outside of the, the, the kind of fast-paced living that we do and the busyness, and we got one thing after another thing, another thing after another thing, and we can't see ourselves anymore. And so we need the mirror of God's word, and we need the light of God's word to break in and show us our hearts so we can submit more of our lives to Jesus and just get real honest and say, God, please help me. I'm done with the excuses. I'm done with the, 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 the traveling in the shadows. I'm done with, with traversing in the darkness and I'm coming to the light of God's word. That's what happens when Paul got saved. And that's why he's putting this at the very beginning of the letter. He wants you to know, like, not only is he saved, but now he's been sent by God to proclaim the gospel of God. He's been set apart in a unique way, which all of us are set apart in a similar way for the gospel of God. All of us are called to be salt and light as Christians. You're called out of darkness into his marvelous light that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who saved you. So we see that in those two phrases. We see the apostle is just a fancy word for one who's been sent by King Jesus to be his messenger, to represent him. And there were 12 apostles in the early church. And Paul was the 13th. And they laid the foundation of gospel preaching to build the church of Jesus Christ. They laid the foundation. They flipped the, the world upside down. God said, I'm going to take a couple of fishermen, a religious hypocrite, a zealot, a tax collector. I'm going to take like a motley crew. I'm going to assemble them, save them, and send them out on mission. And if we're honest, we're a motley crew up in here. Right? Saved out of all kinds of stuff. And this motley crew is meant to have their souls aflame with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that we can take this message into a world of brokenness and darkness and light it up for the kingdom of God and watch what God does. I'm excited. Like, like we get to do that? Yes. Like, that's our calling. Like, we get to go into, like, an adventure where when we share God's word, you never know what he's going to do. You never know who he might save in your family. You never know who he might save in this service, who he's been speaking to with his spirit. Like, you're just lost and you need to come to Jesus. You never know what God will do when we are faithful to this glorious calling. So we marvel at the gospel 
calling. We marvel at the beauty that, that Paul's this servant of God. We marvel at his being sent to bear witness to the truths of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we marvel at this being set apart in a unique way to carry a message into a dark world. And we need to remember that the world is doing what they think is right. But in the end, it leads to death. That's what Proverbs 14, 12 says. There's a way that seems right to a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. But in the end, its way is death. There's a way that seems right. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says what? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to God except through me. And Paul knew firsthand what that was all about because he got knocked on his behind. And then he got brought to his knees. And then he got awakened to the greatest news this world has ever heard of. And if there is no Apostle Paul, think about this. If he doesn't get saved, the gospel doesn't make it to America. This was God's man. This was, like, this was like the guy God chose to bring the gospel to Europe and then from Europe over to here. So he had been moving in ways that are glorious. And I want you guys to think about, like, we have an opportunity, and I want to encourage you, like, we're going to provide, in September, we're going to provide some opportunities for us to get equipped to actually have gospel conversations with people, meaningful gospel conversations. We're going to have some Wednesday time set aside for a few months where we're just learning to share the gospel. We're learning to deal with cultural objections. We're learning to deal with stuff like the, the question of abortion. We're learning to deal with, 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 with the, the, the reality of an aggressive sexual revolution that calls light darkness and darkness light. We're going to spend time thinking through like what it means to live in this culture for Jesus being salt and light in the world and doing exactly what Paul has called us to in this letter. And I want us to just get excited about praying for that, being a part of that. And many of you guys have told me, like, I just don't know what to say. I'm not the Apostle Paul. And yet, beloved, this is our calling. And the gospel is glorious news. And it's the one thing I want us to feel so confident in sharing. And so that's the next thing we see in this passage. You've got to have a gospel calling, but now you've got to have gospel content. What's the, what's the gospel all about? Like, what is this news about? Look at the, the end of verse 1 again. Paul says he's set apart for the gospel of God, which was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, and it's concerning his son. It's concerning God's son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. Like Paul is wanting us to preach a message that comes from God. Like God is the originator of the gospel. The good news is about God. And God has sent this good news to us in the person of his son. He sent a personal human being who is very God of very God and fully human. 
Do you see that? Like both of those are in that passage. It's a message concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh, fully human. And he was declared to be the son of God, fully divine, by power or in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Like, how do you know Jesus is who he claimed to be? How do you know he is the Redeemer? How do you know He is sent from God? Because He raised up out of the dead. And all His enemies would have needed to do is parade His body through the streets of Jerusalem after the crucifixion. But they couldn't find His body because He's risen. This is good news about Jesus Christ. And it's good news that comes from God to us. And it's good news Concerning his son. But we need to know something about this news. It's not new. This isn't new. Like the gospel is not new news. The gospel verse two is that which was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's how you know it's from God. Like God had been talking about the gospel ever since Genesis three. Do you remember like Genesis 3, there's a promise that God makes right there in the heart of the fall, right there when man blows it, right there when Adam and Eve eats of the forbidden fruit and is alienated from God. God says to them, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Like, I'm going to send somebody born of woman who will crush the serpent's head. Jesus would be the one who would come to destroy the works of the devil and plunder the people under his captivity because of their slavery to their sins and their passions going after him. And he sets them free. This is the snake crusher. This is the snake crusher, sovereign king that God promised thousands of years ago would come. And do you think that's on Paul's radar? Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's talking to the church. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I love that. It's like the devil's going to get crushed by Jesus' foot, okay? And grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You know why? Because God's good news to you means that Satan is, his works are being destroyed. It means his grip on your life can be broken. It means that the greatest enemy the world has ever known has been defeated by the Prince of Life. The Prince of Darkness, grim, we tremble not for Him. Because one little word from Jesus will fell Him. Stomp. That's it. Game over. Jesus is in, on the scene. That's why when in the Gospels, when demon-possessed people See, Jesus, they come up and fall before him and say, please, please don't torment us before the time. Start crying out to Jesus in submission. 
Who is this that, that the evil spirits obey him? Well, it's Jesus. Long ago, every single prophet in the Old Testament had spoke of this. The whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament points to this. Let us get out of our heads that there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament, and they're two different gods. It's the same God with the same plan that He's been working out through human history, and He is bringing His purposes to completion through the person of His Son. That's what Paul says at the end of his letter. Same thing. Romans 16.25 Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation and the mystery that was secret, kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This gospel has deep, deep, deep roots all throughout Scripture. The bloodline runs through. The Day of Atonement. Jesus is our sacrifice. The King who would come like David Jesus is the greater David. The prophet who would tell us the truth about God. Jesus is the greatest of all prophets. This is Jesus. And this is a message concerning the Son of God. And He's 100% human, descended from David, and 100% God in one person. And you know why that had to be so? Because if he's not fully man, he can't live in your place as a substitute. He can't be the second Adam to do what Adam failed to do and live totally righteous in God's sight. He can't die on a cross and pay the penalties for your sins. He can't rescue you by dying and rising up out of the grave. But if he's not 100% God, he can't take the full weight of God's wrath and he can't defeat the grave. He has to be both in one person and it's a powerful gospel because he's like nobody else. He fully identifies with us being tempted in all points yet without sin. And yet... Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who might he be? He's the son of God. That's who this Jesus is. He was, verse 4, declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't it interesting that that's just the way that the angels announce him in the Gospels? That's just the way the angels announce him? Like that, that for unto us a son is born, right? For unto us a son is given. 
like these realities, this is, this, is, this is the word of the angels to us. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Straight out of the mouth of angels to the shepherds. Luke chapter 2. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are God's sons, God has sent His Spirit into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Galatians chapter 4. Like God had a plan from long ago to redeem people through this man who happens to be the very Son of God. And His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ the Lord. And that's what verse 4 unfolds in Romans 1. Jesus Christ the Lord. Every one of those titles are there if you see it. Every single one of those titles are there for us. Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is God's saving name for His Son. It means Jehovah saves or God saves. The Lord is the sovereign title given to, to a king. The New Testament Christians would know that the only person who's called Lord in New Testament times was the Roman emperor. And so Paul's saying, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Brothers and sisters, the President of the United States is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. We give respect, but He is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. We pray for our leaders, but we recognize that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who's going to save us. Sometimes we look to our political leaders like, like they're going to bring in and usher in a new messianic age. And only Jesus can do that. This world's going to continue to be broken until Jesus consummates His saving plan and we get to be a part of it and caught up in it. To bring about the plan and purposes of God. So we've got a gospel calling. We've got gospel content. And now, the last thing we see, and quickly is that there's a gospel mission. There's a gospel mission going on. Look at verse 5. Through whom, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to do what? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. What's Paul's mission? What's his mission? What's his calling? What's his calling to us? What's he given over to? He wants to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations for the sake of Christ's name. Now think about this for a second. What is the obedience of faith? We can dismiss right out the bat that it's not saying you work your way into heaven. Right? Because Paul says, we've been saved by grace through faith, not of our works, lest we boast. But we're saved 
and created as his workmanship for good works. So this obedience of faith must have something to do with faith and then obedience at the same time. And the reformer Martin Luther used to say that we're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by good works. Or another way to put it is that gospel salvation comes through faith and gospel transformation comes as a result of that faith and is lived out in obedience to Christ. So much of contemporary Christianity stops short of anything that's submitting its life to Jesus and living out His commands. I mean, something must be wrong if the statistics are the same between professing Christians and the world when it comes to divorce, when it comes to sexual immorality, when it comes to views on what man is, what woman is. If we've got the same view, we've got problems. But here's what Paul's saying. The real gospel, the true gospel, the saving gospel is one that brings about the obedience of faith. It's one that issues obedience through a life of faith. Is that not what James says too, right? Faith without works, faith that's not evidenced by godliness and good works is dead. So some of us have got to lose that kind of dead faith so that we can get saving faith. And Paul is after a faith that works itself out in loving obedience. He's after the transformation of a pagan world that hates God, that's hostile to God. I said, that, that was me. That was Paul. He was doing it religiously. And that was every one of us if we've been transformed by this glorious gospel message. It's something that's not just for the Jews. But did you notice that in verse 5? It's for the nations. And did you notice the reason? So that Jesus would be glorified. It's for the sake of His name. If we cared more about the glory of God, we'd be proclaiming the gospel of God. If we had a vision of the gospel being shared and communicated as something that's ultimately and supremely glorifying God and a privilege of every Christian and the calling and the mission of every Christian. Paul would be like, let's go. That's what he was trying to motivate the New Testament church with this letter. By reminding them this gospel is the power of God. And Paul's mission is just Christ's great commission, right? What did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18? All authority is in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples among all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to what? To just sign a card and pray a prayer and then go out and live like the world. Now he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. 
My greatest fear as a pastor is that there are many, many people who will hear the thundering warning of Jesus on Judgment Day when they'll say, I did this and I did that and I did this. And they'll hear from Him, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Many who will say to me, Lord, Lord, Jesus said. They'll pray They'll give allegiance on some level to Jesus, but they'll be totally without Christ in the end because the obedience of faith was not born in their hearts as they heard the gospel. Transformation never happened. It just stopped at a profession. And that's not New Testament Christianity. And that's something God calls us out of because that's why Paul says the gospel is something he's not ashamed of for it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Let me close with this. Gospel calling. Gospel mission. Gospel content. We need it all to get gripped by the gospel. I was reading an article recently about Australia. And for those of you who don't know, Australia started out as a penal colony. It started out as a prison. And the British or the English would basically take their convicts, ship them over to Australia, and that's where it started to get populated. And then some pastor had an idea. His name was John Newton. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, that John Newton. He said, why don't we send pastors over with them? And what that did to Australia is began a gospel movement of gospel transformation. Prisoners started getting saved. Society started getting formed. Christian values started being adorned. And it began to revolutionize Australia. And it's the reason that we have such a population there now. But then you fast forward a few decades and what happened? The church got institutionalized. There was professions of faith, but no obedience that followed. There was kind of a Christianizing that started to reject the truths of Scripture and started to just have a Christian culture without a Christian love for Jesus and without a gospel witness. And pretty soon after a few generations, the gospel's lost. Secularism just breaks in. Sexual perversion. Homosexuality. Atheism reigning. And it's one of the most unchristian countries in the world. How does that happen? Because there was a losing of the grip on the gospel. Brothers and sisters, friends, this message is for our good. Paul and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit would want you to be gripped by this good news that you never let it go. That you always stand on it. That you always want to grow in your love for Jesus. And if you can live a Christianity 
that gives lip service to Jesus while you're walking in darkness all week long, spurning the name of Jesus by how you live, that is not Christianity. Oh, that our hearts would be strangely warmed. Oh, that the message of Paul would fix on our hearts and create a heart of servanthood that just says, Lord Jesus, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all to Thee. So as we pray, I just want you to quiet your heart before God. And maybe you need to do business before God. Maybe you need to receive this great news. Maybe you need to repent of not living a life that issues in obedience. And maybe you need to take King Jesus and just bow your life before Him and watch Him work miracles in your soul. Let's pray. Father, Lord, wherever we're at, uh, we need this message. We need a message of hope. We need a message that reminds us for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And part of that everlasting life means living a different way. It means experiencing new life inside us. It means experiencing forgiveness for our sins. It means bringing our real self to You and being forgiven. And Father, if there's some who just need to do that, just pray that, that they would... Pray this along with me as, as they're in their hearts considering this is a, this is a word to me right now. I need, I need Christ. I need to repent. And that you would pray along with me. Dear God, I believe I'm a sinner. Dear God, I realize I've been living a lie. I've been living in sin. Please forgive me. I want to look to Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe that he can change me. Please come into my life. Bring about the obedience of faith. And Lord, I pray that you would be doing that in hearts. And that as we sing this song, Lord, that that all of us would be saying, I surrender all. I surrender all. I want a gospel calling that fixes my heart. I want a gospel content that just radiates through my life. And I want a gospel mission that I just can't get enough of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.